On today's episode of the podcast, we have a segment of Ask Rachel, meaning you ask your questions and I answer here on the pod. We have a really beautiful array of questions in today's episode. I talk about everything from herbalism, a really beautiful doorway into the world of herbalism and how we can approach learning about herbalism one plant at a time. I talk about how to find a sense of belonging and a feeling of home and making connections with our ancestral past, meaning connecting with relatives that have passed long ago and how maybe that connection can even bring us places in the world today. I also talk about just some family stuff that we have going on in our lives right now and how to release fears about having good things come to an end. It's a good podcast. I really think so. Do scents evoke memories and transport you back to being on the beach during your favorite vacation? I know they do for me. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil smells like summer or the beach in Aruba, bottled with all-natural uplifting notes of mango, mandarin, grapefruit, lime, and cypress. But it's not just about the elevated scent. This body oil is clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and deeply moisturize, leaving skin silky and soft. It delivers that coveted post-vacation glow, like you just returned from a tropical getaway. And right now, you can get 10% off your first order with our code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. I love Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I use it every single day and I have for so many years. It makes me feel silky smooth and just glowing. This body oil is rich but never greasy and clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. It visibly firms your skin, leaving you more sculpted and toned. No wonder I feel so great after using it. But it gets even better. With Osea, you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Osea's products are clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. They are a women-founded company that has been making seaweed-infused skincare for over 28 years. So bring on summer. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skin and body care at Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. Let's jump in. Welcome, 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 dear friends. It's time for a brand new episode of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. I feel so lucky I get to sit here to talk to you right now. I It's been a while since I had an entire hour to myself, truly. Um, the past couple of days, the baby has just really been wanting to be carried and held literally 24 hours a day. I mean, okay, no, not at night, but all day. And um, I, he's kind of in the carrier with me all day. My back is killing me. I take him with me to the bathroom. I do all the cooking and baking and I harvest vegetables in the garden with him. Literally, I'm, I'm holding him pretty much all day. So just now I walked into the bedroom. I sat down in my little podcast chair and I lit a candle, took a breath and just felt like, whoa, I'm, I'm alone. <laughs> I'm alone and I get to record the podcast. It feels feels really, really special. So today, actually, it's time for a segment of Ask Rachel, which, as you know, is one of my favorite things to record. You call me and you ask your questions and I don't listen to them beforehand. We just kind of sit down and I pick a question at random. And we've had many episodes of this show, actually, where one single question becomes an entire episode of the podcast. So I just love hearing your voices and also hearing just how aligned our lives tend to be, because pretty much every single time I record one of these episodes, everything you're asking me just resonates with where I am. So it's beautiful to feel that sense of community with you. Yeah, let's dive straight in. First question. Here we go. Hey, Rachel. My name's Emily, and I have a question about an Instagram post that you put up recently. In it, you said, we find our way home one way or another, and then you questioned how much of our lives is faded, how much is encoded in our DNA, and how much is remembrance? Is anything random? Could you maybe talk a little bit more about that, as in, do you feel it's always something that is a physical place? 
or could it possibly be just coming home to ourselves? I would love to get your input on that. Oh, hi, Emily. Yeah, I, I shared that yesterday. We really are speaking in real time here. Yeah, literally yesterday, I, um, I was sitting down on the dock. It's something that I do every single day. Sometimes it's five minutes. That's what I get. I like run down to the lake. I take a dip in the cold water because it's, it's already getting pretty cold again here. And then I run back to the baby. And some days I get more time. Some days I really sit and just lounge in the sun and just oh, sometimes I meditate. I just, it's really become my one non-negotiable moment of self-care every day is taking a moment down by the lake. And yesterday, as I was sitting there, I had my moment. And as I said in the beginning of this show, just Finn right now, he he's six weeks old. Well, he's almost seven weeks. Yeah, okay, okay. He's closer to seven than six. He's seven weeks old, wants to be held all the time. And he's in a phase where it's just easier with me. You know, Dennis has him a lot. Dennis is amazing. We're really in this together. It's not like I'm doing any of this alone. But he's a little fuzzier with Dennis and it's just easier right now if if I hold him most of the time. So anyway, yesterday I, I walked down to the lake. It was 6 p.m. by the time I made it down. And when I wake up in the morning, it's the first thing I want to do is go for my daily dip. So the fact that it took me all day to get there, you know, I was really tired. I was feeling like, oh, this is just having kind of a rough week. And then I go for my dip it's all I need. It's a complete reset. It resets my physical body. It resets my brain, my heart. It's a deep spiritual connection that I feel to myself and that I feel particularly to the land here. So every time I, I, I come back out of the lake, I always feel different than I did before I stepped in, kind of like stepping on my yoga mat. I always, I never feel exactly the same as I did before, right? And yesterday I dip into the lake I swim out and I dip my whole head, my whole body. I just swim underwater for a little bit and I swim out pretty far. Normally I don't swim uh, super far. I don't know why. I'm not one of those swimming people. I'm more of a dip, hang out in the water for a while. I'm, I'm not, I don't swim like for exercise or anything the way my husband does. But yesterday I swam further out and as I did and I get to that deeper point of the lake where it feels a little bit you know, it's, it's, it's kind of vast and the water is really dark. It's not a, it's not a Reuben Caribbean turquoise crystal clear waters here. You know, this is Swedish Lake Malada. It's the lake I'm on. It's murky. It's dark. You know, it's a totally different experience. And as I was out there, I just had this memory of something that I know. And it's, I've always known as long as I've lived here, but I'd never think about it really. And it's something that came to me just as I was that far out into the lake. And it's the fact that many, many years ago, I have to look up the exact year, I have an ancestor that passed away in the middle of the lake. And we don't know exactly the spot where this happened, but we think it was pretty much right in front of our house. So this is my grandmother on my dad's side. So his mom, uh, my paternal grandmother, my dad's mom, her great, I don't know if it's her great aunt or her aunt. Yeah, when we get this back far in the generations, I always struggle a little bit with the great, great, great. Um, but I think it was, I think it was her aunt. Yeah, so her dad's sister, my, my father's grandfather's sister. Okay, so it's my dad's great aunt um, was out sailing. And then this side of the family, they lived far from where we are. They lived on the other side of the lake, like on this peninsula, not in this exact area where I am. And they, she had gone out sailing with friends. And my grandmother told me the story that she was invited to go sailing. They were farmer people, like they did not know how to swim well. This was very, very, very long time ago. It was rare for people who didn't live by the water to know how to swim. And she was 25 years old and was invited to go on this sailing trip. And that her dad and mom, so my grandmother's grandparents, right, had said no. They didn't want her to go sailing. They, they had a bad feeling. And then she really asked, really wanted to go, and then went anyway. And somehow, right when they were right in the middle of the lake, right in front of where we live, all of a sudden came this really crazy, out-of-the-blue storm. 
And when my grandma told me this story the first time, I was like, that sounds weird. We don't have those kinds of storms in Sweden. It's not like like living in Costa Rica or even in Aruba. You sometimes get this tropical thing where all of a sudden from blue skies comes this crazy storm that lasts for a short time and then it passes. Like we don't have a lot of that here. But the past couple of weeks, we've had tons of that, exactly that, like sunny day, and then it starts to drizzle a little bit. And then all of a sudden, it's like the wind is knocking my pots over on the porch. It's so intense. And this kind of storm just came out of the blue and their boat capsized. And there was apparently a man who lived in the same area Dennis and I just moved from. So literally, it's a very, very, very small little area. It's, it's, it's like a road, basically. And a man from that place, so we don't know which house, but like right where we lived, um, saw it happen and had taken a boat out to try to save them and managed to save two people that were on the boat. And then my grandmother's aunt didn't make it. She passed away. And she was 25 years old. My grandmother's dad was 10. So this was like a super, you know, must have been something that really shaped him. Imagine being 10 years old and having an older sister like that pass away. And it's so strange to me that this, this happened right in front of where we live. And as I was out in the lake yesterday and I had this moment of like, oh, this lake just suddenly feels really big. It feels really like I'm far out. I had a little moment of not fear, but just respect for the lake. And then that memory came. It's like, whoa, yeah, I did have, I have an ancestor who like passed away right here literally right here. And I had that thought. I wonder, I wonder how the memory of the land works. I wonder how these things, like big experiences in our lives, how it's passed down generation from generation without words. I wonder how these things, if they do, if they live on in a cellular way. And I really started thinking about that, that a place, a location can hold so much energy. We know that. We know that, that, you know, if you, you have a place in your house where you sit in meditation every day, that corner of your house is going to feel different than the kitchen, than the bathroom, than, you know, the TV room, places that we return to, to engage in certain time, certain types of activity is going to take on the energy of that vibe of that activity, right? That we're doing. And we also know that if something really terrible has happened in the place, that that place can hold that energy. Sometimes we step into a, into a room or we step into a house or into a part of the woods or, and we just have an eerie feeling, right? And I had that feeling just out in the lake and I had that memory come and I was like, yeah. And it's so bizarre that I am here now. And that's something that must have really shaped, must have shaped my great, great, what is it? Great, great, great or great, great. Yeah. It must have shaped that their, their lives so, so much. I mean, losing a child is such a huge thing. It must have shaped my grandmother's dad's life, must have shaped my grandmother's life, even though she wasn't born, which of course has shaped my dad, which has shaped me. And all of a sudden I live here now. I don't know. It was just like, it felt like a very strange full circle, full circle moment because None of my family is from this area where we live right now. And as I sat there on the dock, just contemplating that, how it's so bizarre that that, that little, little place, that little road where the guy took his boat to, to save some people from that same accident, that's the area where my dad bought land um, two decades ago. And it's the first place Dennis ever saw of Sweden when we met and we went to Sweden for the first time. We'd been together for like a month and a half or something. Came to Sweden. We went from the airport to that house. That's like a house my dad had long, long ago. And my grandfather eventually moved there, but my grandfather is not from this area at all. So it's my dad's dad. He's from another place. And eventually my brother gravitated here and moved here, my sister moved here, and then we found ourselves, of course, like we're, we're drawn to family, right? So when Dennis and I moved here, we also ended up in this space. And then we're just kind of connecting the dots of how much ancestral background we have in these lands, like on this lake, this is a big lake, but right at this part of this lake. And the more research we do, the more wild and crazy it, it, it gets, really. 
So I definitely have that feeling that if we are, that we might at certain times in our lives feel called to return to ancestral places. Not that it's all of our destiny all the time to, to go back to our specific roots or to end up where our great, great, great grandparents used to live and then live there for the rest of our lives. But I think it, there is, we are going to have those moments where we gravitate toward important places that relate to something that happened in our past or that relate to our ancestral lineage. And when I posted that yesterday, like, is anything random? Is everything faded? Is this in our DNA? Like, I don't know. I'm posing these questions because I don't know. And someone wrote, well, what about Dennis? Like, Dennis is not from Sweden. So why, why is he there with you? Well, I mean, Dennis is from Aruba and we spent 13 years there. So I'm sure, you know, he spent his whole entire life there. So for him, it's not really the same. You know, the timing is not the same, which I think is kind of beautiful too, that we get to alternate visiting, you know, parts of our past in that way. I think the the difference really is, or something that at least brings clarity in this area for me, is when we start to remember and we start to talk about these people from our past. Because we can keep the door closed to our ancestors. We can keep the doors, the door completely shut to whatever came before the last generation. You know, maybe we know we know our parents, of course, and we most of us have a relationship with our grandparents, but it kind of ends there, right? Unless you have grandparents that are really great storytellers and that feel this importance of passing down the memory of their parents and the parent, you know, and their parents and so on. But I think it's kind of rare that we feel like we have a deep relationship to people further back, even though we absolutely can. So it's like, for me, just to know this story of my grandmother's aunt, I feel a relationship with her. Like I feel, I feel compassion for her. I suddenly start to wonder what was her life like, like being 25 years old, living in this area at that time. Like, I wonder what her day to day was. I wonder what she dreamt of. I wonder if she had a boyfriend, was she in love? Like, I wonder if she was scared when she passed, I wonder, you know, I just start, I just start asking myself these questions that I probably won't ever have answers to. And I think the moment we just invite those people into our consciousness by thinking about them and asking questions about them or being curious about their lives or, and you can take this further and, you know, look for images of them if they exist and place a photo of them on your altar or write their name down and place that somewhere sacred in your home or mention their name. I really, really do believe that all of this has a huge energetic weight and that can bring forth this sense of aliveness when it comes to people that we've never met that are so far back in our, in our lineage that of course we were never meant to meet on this like earthly plane but that there is a knowledge there that's being passed down or there is some wisdom there being passed down or at least a, a sense of connection. And for me right now, it makes living here feel really special. Not that I am committed to living in this place until I die and this is it, but like right now I feel very anchored here. And it feels very special to know that the same lake I swim in every day, like that's probably where all of these ancestors of mine, like they washed their clothes here. They probably like drank from the streams that lead to the lake. Um, you know, they for sure birthed their babies right here. You know, there was no birthing in a hospital happening at that time. Like it almost feels like I get to reconnect that ancestral line of birth just by having free birthed Finn right in this place. So I don't know. And I also know that, you know, everyone is very, very different. I'm really thankful for my dad who feels this calling to know. Yeah, he's, he's really into just like ancestral research and he has a family tree. We use ancestry. So both him and my grandma, they've done a lot of just tracing back of where the family came from. And it's, it's really special, you know if you have the ability to know and you feel the curiosity to know. And then, of course, I also think that sometimes we end up places and we don't know why, and there might be a link to that way in our past. Um, and we don't have to know, you know. We just enter a place or we arrive somewhere and it feels special. It feels like the time is right. It feels sacred. We don't have to know 
you know, that we have some sort of connection there from way back to be able to trust that we're at the right place at the right time. So I don't know if this answers your question, but I'm definitely in this space of wanting to connect those dots and asking those questions and yeah, really contemplating just how much it took for me to be here. How many people in my past had to live these full lives, you know, full of hardship and beauty and birth and death for me to get to arrive to where I am. You know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for every single person in my lineage moving through exactly what they went through. That's kind of mind boggling if you really think of it, how much it took for us to be here. And I think it's, it's pretty beautiful to not take that for granted, but to have some form of reverence for our ancestors, some sort of respect, even just having a, like a foot anchored in their memory, I think is, is beautiful enough. Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I am faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where Ritual comes in. They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Ritual's Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Let's take another question. Hi, Rachel. My name is Sarah. So I wanted to ask you something about just kind of feeling happy in life and not letting anxieties get to you about, you know, that things are going to get taken away. You know, I know you're in a place right now where you're so grateful for everything and you feel really blessed. You have a new baby, you love your home. And I'm kind of in a similar situation where I'm really loving my career and I'm just happy with my personal life too. But I also deal with fears of everything, you know, kind of just getting taken away. Um, I wonder if you had any advice on that, if you're moving through that right now. All right. Thank you. Bye. Hi. Uh, I think this is, a, this is a, a really important question. And I think you're not alone in feeling these feelings. I've definitely moved through big cycles of that, of living my life feeling like I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, almost like <laughs> if things get too good, something bad must be coming. I, I think actually I've, I've had, I've struggled with that feeling for most of my life, to be honest. And as you say, you're getting a really correct read <laughs> of where I am now. Um, I am in a space right now where I just feel very, very grateful and just happy overall. It's We're in a good season over here, which I know isn't something that's going to last. It's the nature of life. Bad things come and they don't last forever. And then good things come and they don't last forever. And all we know is that everything will change all the time. And all we know is that this too will pass, right? Whatever it is we're moving through. But I actually feel at this specific stage in my life, like I have either I've worked through a lot of that feeling of the fear of something terrible happening, or I've just randomly ended up at a space where I have a lot of security now. And I don't have to worry about that anymore. When Leah was born, when I had my first daughter, I, I that feeling of something going wrong, that feeling of something bad coming was so overwhelming 
it, I lost sleep over it. And with her, specifically, the feeling and the fear that I had was that something's going to happen to her. I think, you know, entering motherhood for the very first time, I was so overwhelmed with the amount of love I felt for her, with the amount of just fragility that came with that. Because it's really bizarre how much we love our children. I mean, there's nothing fiercer, more overwhelming, more, you know, it's it's just so... It's everything, right? How much we love our little ones. And also, at the same time, they are so damn fragile. Literally. I mean, baby humans are just the, the worst at taking care of themselves. <laughs> they're the worst at, they're not resilient at all. I mean, they are in certain ways, but they're also not in other ways. And especially if you're doing it for the first time, I think you definitely have this feeling of, oh my God, so many things can go wrong. You know, it's like, I remember just leaning over the crib, staring at her, making sure that she was breathing, waking up at night, just like, oh, I slept too deeply. You know, what if I, if I sleep too deeply, maybe she'll, she'll just die. Like she's just going to stop breathing at any moment if I don't have my eyes on her and my presence with her at all times. I actually think I didn't sleep. Even when she slept, I didn't go into a deep sleep because I was so on the surface of what if something happens, you know? And I think there's a level of that that's normal. There's a level of that as a parent, mom or dad, where you're always going to have, you know, your your heart outside of your body a little bit with that worry all the time. But the level that I experienced it at was not normal. And it was really, yeah, it really impacted my life in a negative way. And this time around, I don't feel it, actually. And it's really weird. I And I don't know if it's if it's how I birthed him, because I, I, giving birth to him came with such a sense of empowerment for me and strength and this feeling of everything unfolding the way it's supposed to. I just have a lot of trust. Like his, the pregnancy and the birth came with so much trust that now I sleep really deeply. When he's sleeping, I am asleep, really, truly asleep. So I feel rested in my day. I don't have this feeling of, oh, what if something happens to him? I actually feel a lot of trust that his body works the way it's supposed to work and that he's going to keep breathing even if I'm not looking at him all the time. So I think parts of this is how regulated do we feel? How regulated are our nervous systems overall? Not just the specific thing that we're worrying about. And I don't know for you, maybe for you it's not your kids, maybe for you it's work that feeling like, you know, it could just be taken away. Maybe you're experiencing success right now. And then with that comes the fear of, oh, what if it stops? Um, you know, maybe it's family or home or something, another area of your life. But I think the more unregulated our nervous systems are overall, the more stress we experience, the less grounded we are in our bodies and the less of an embodied life that we're able to live, the more that feeling is going to be present. And probably the reason I feel good now and I don't have that feeling of the other shoe is going to drop or something bad's going to happen or it's going to get taken away is because I'm in a really blessed space of being very, very grounded right now. Even though I'm not sleeping as much and, you know, newborn times and it's hard and all of that, I, I have very little stress in my life. And that's a blessing and a privilege. And it didn't happen on its own. You know, it's not like, Certain people just arrive on this earth with more regulated nervous systems than others. A lot of it is not having to worry about our safety, not having to worry about putting food on the table. If we don't have our basic needs met, I think we are going to have that level, of course, of stress all the time, even when things are pretty good. If we don't feel safe and secure in those fundamental areas of our lives, yeah, we're going to have a certain level of stress vibrating through our systems all the time. And if we've lived that way for a while, or we've lived with lack, or with the fear of lack, or with the old story or conditioning of lack, it makes sense that when good things happen, and we're actually safe, and things are actually good, that that old story continues to vibrate through our bodies. That even when things are great, that old vibration of, but it's not going to last, or we know this is not here to stay, or anything terrible can happen at any time. Or the vibration that was moving through my system for a long time was, at any moment, someone might die. That was my story. It was a really loud story that 
don't get too comfortable because at any moment someone, yeah, these people might disappear, they might die, they might abandon you. So don't relax, right? Don't let yourself trust that this is here to stay. So I was kind of in that fight or flight of at any moment trauma is coming, even though trauma wasn't there. So healing those old wounds, doing trauma healing of past things, if you've never done it, if you have something big that unfolded in your childhood or not too long ago, or even if it's 50 years ago, if we've ever been through something really traumatic, it, we have to work our way through that. We have to let our nervous systems release the vibration of that scary place or that scary time. Otherwise, even when we are in a really great, solid, safe space, we're still going to be living from that wound because it's something active and open, right? Or we're going to encounter triggers for it all the time. So healing past things is really important, you know, letting, shedding some light on things that feel unsolved, that are asking to be solved or felt right now. And then having some sort of practice that allows us to regulate every day, that we get to keep our feet on the ground. And for me it, right now, it's that, that dip in the lake that I just talked about, that walk down to the lake and then having that undisturbed moment of just silence and breath and nature and gratitude it's uh, it's everything and it's all I need right now. If I was in a state of stress, which I've experienced so much in my life too, you know, when I was feeling really stressed, really unregulated, then I needed a lot more. It's like I need to be on my yoga mat twice a day. I need to have a non-negotiable meditation practice. I need to see my therapist every week. I need to, the list becomes longer, the bigger our need is, right? So just establishing where is my basic need? How can I meet that just for me, you know, not just for my career or family or kids or all the other people and stuff that needs to be taken care of, but just for me? And how big is that need? And how can I make sure that I have the support and the help that I need to, to meet it, to fill it? And continuing to do that when things are good so that we don't just reach for our resources when things fall apart. A lot of us do, right? It's like, oh, now I feel like crap. Now I need to go back to doing these things that help me stay grounded. But if we do them when things are great, then we don't have to lose them at all. And then we have that solid practice to hold us. That's what it's really for. We have that container to hold us when things get bad and scary or hard, which inevitably, unfortunately, it will, right? So I think trust and trusting in that the good things are really here for us, trusting that we can relax when we're in a good place, it doesn't just happen from telling ourselves we can trust, right? We have to work with our bodies. We have to work with those old stories. And I think little by little, doing that work actually truly really works. <laughs> doing the work works. I mean, it really, really does. If anything, I think I am a living example of that right now. But again, it is that combination of having minimal stress, of having to having had a very empowering, trusting birth and pregnancy I'm being in a place in my life where I really feel like I'm taken care of. And mostly I think, yeah, yeah, the birth is just, I keep coming back to new epiphanies about birthing Finn, just how much it shifted something in me. Yeah, I'm really, uh, I'm really grateful. I'm not constantly walking around all day worrying about him. It's a different, there's a different calmness in parenting him. I think just from that trust that he's safe and I'm safe and we're meant to be here and our bodies both work and you know yeah I'm really really grateful for that this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's take another question. Hi, Rachel. This is Kristen calling from the Wildwood Homestead in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I was actually kind of curious about what sort of insects and critters like to live in your kitchen garden there in Sweden. 
And do you battle them noshing away at your greens and whatnot and all of your goodies? So I'm just kind of curious what you have to deal with insect-wise and what do you suggest? And I hope you have a great day. Bye. Mm, hi, Kristen. Ah, oh, this is a this is a this is a constant battle. <laughs> it actually is. I have decided this year that I'm just I'm relaxed about the critters. Last year, I was very I don't want to use the word stress stressed because it's not a real you know serious stress, but I was kind of constantly battling something in the garden. This year, I'm just less present in the garden, so I don't have enough energy to really battle everything. But this season, definitely the biggest issue that we have is snails. I don't know. And, and slugs. I guess that's the difference between a snail and a, a snail has a house, right? A slug. A slug is homeless. <laughs> a slug is houseless. That's <laughs> not how it works. Um, yeah, particularly the slugs. We get these big, fat, brown, brownish black slugs that are called in Swedish, and I kid you not, murder slugs. <laughs> And I think they're called murder slugs because if one of them dies, they will feast on their own. Like they're just, they're gnarly, these slugs. And uh, we've had so much rain, especially July. July was just really wet and rainy. And they come out of the woodworks and it's like, I go from not seeing a single one to like, oh, I just saw a hundred of them and they're in every single bed. I literally had slugs overnight eat almost an entire zucchini of mine. Like almost a whole, okay, it wasn't like a huge one, but they, yeah, they had a, they had a zucchini party. So I have this slug, it's like a organic kind of, they say it's organic and natural. I, now I don't know how, how true that is, but that's what they say, the box, and that's what they say. I was recommended this by a permaculturist, so I think it's safe. It should be safe and good to use. It's like little pebbles that you strew, you, you just kind of put them out in the garden beds. And I don't know if those pebbles, if they, I actually don't know. I haven't found dead slugs around, which I would have otherwise. So I don't know if, if they have a smell or something that just makes them not want to go near or if they eat them and then go die somewhere. But I haven't found a bunch of that dead slugs. So that's probably not it. But honestly, the, the thing I did last year, I had raised beds. So I put these little metal edges on the raised beds they're literally called like slug protectors or something so if you have raised beds it's a it's much easier to manage but now instead of beds you know like built beds we have above ground no dig we have a no dig garden so it really it's like a jungle it really invites critters in a different way but at the same time we've planted just a lot of different kinds of edible flowers and herbs and things that are supposed to deter pests like planting onion all around, like we have onion all around the strawberries and onion all around the cabbage and things like that. But we still have cabbage moths, you know, we still have, yeah, I mean, the same permaculturist, no, actually it was, I, I did a permaculture course last, last week. And one of the teachers said, if there's not something eating your garden, it's not a garden. And I'm kind of trying to embrace that. Like if nothing was eating my vegetables, if nothing was eating the garden, it wouldn't be a garden. We want our gardens to be an ecosystem. And having visitors to a certain degree is really, really healthy. Now in Aruba, I did a lot of, it, it was really crazy. I would get invasions, like real infestations of just one single type of critter or bug. And the reason that is, is because I was growing in a way that wasn't natural to the environment there. I was trying to grow um, things that I'm, you know, that, that grow well in Sweden in the most tropical place. And I was trying to take pests away. So it started off as I had these, I had, I had these above ground beds and then the dogs, like one of our dog would go in the bed and dig. And she used to, like, we used to have all the dogs just kind of walking through the garden. And then one of the dogs started digging out the soil and digging out roots and seeds and stuff. So I was like, oh, no, we need to we need to block the garden off. So I asked Dennis to build me a fence. He built a really beautiful wooden fence in the front of the back so that the dogs couldn't pass anymore. What I didn't know was the fact that the dogs were present in the garden kept all the lizards and the iguanas away. So the reason I had no problems with iguanas eating all my vegetables and fruits 
was thanks to the dogs. But now I took the dogs away, all of a sudden we had a huge lizard problem. I even like, this was during the pandemic. I didn't have anything to do with my time. <laughs> I literally sat out in the garden with a hose, with like the gun on the hose, just looking for the iguanas so I could spray them away. You know, I was, I was really obsessed with the, with the lizards. And they started eating everything. And I did so much research. How do I fix this? How do I save everything from the lizards? Oh my God, this doesn't work. And we put this aluminum wrapping around the raised beds. I don't know how I found this. It's really random, but lizards can't climb metal. Like they can't, they, their feet doesn't, it doesn't stick. Like they can't climb that. So they would just slide down and it really worked. So I had like a week or two where I was like, yes, I won the war. I beat the lizard. Woo. And what I didn't know is that the lizards in the garden were eating smaller bugs that wanted to eat my plants. And I, I mean, as you know, so it's, it's the really typical, typical, if you mess with the existing ecosystem, you're going to have other issues. Right? So I kind of regretted putting up that fence because having the dogs present in the garden really meant that everything was sort of working in a natural order. And then in the end, I had just such bad infestations of white flies and crazy things that I just, yeah, I, I lost whole crops. Like I lost everything to one single thing. But I think it's really interesting to, to just approach gardening that way instead of how can I make a perfect garden that where everything grows exactly the way I want it and I get to feed my family the specific vegetables that we want to eat instead of approaching it as how can I mimic what nature already wants here? You know, how can I align what I'm growing with nature in a way that makes perfect sense, not just for my, you know, growing gardening zone or my climate zone, but for this specific little patch of land that I'm using to grow. And the permaculture way for me makes so much sense because it really is about mimicking what nature already wants and uh, mimicking what nature already does. And that same permaculture teacher that I that I was studying with and then I didn't have any snail issues, but someone asked in class, like, I have so many snails, what do I do? And she said, there's no such thing as a snail problem in a garden. There's only a shortage of ducks. <laughs> and I love that. Like, There's no such thing as a snail problem. There's only a shortage of ducks. You need ducks in your garden. The ducks will eat the slugs. They'll be happy. Everyone, everything will be great. So... I'm now, as I plan for next year's garden, which I already am, I'm planning the fall garden now and I'm, you know, already thinking of next season, but I really want ducks. I think ducks would be such a beautiful addition to the farm here. And instead of using a bunch of, you know, yeah, pesticides of any kind, even natural versions of pesticides, if it messes with what nature wants to have in that space, I would prefer not to use it. So yeah, so right now I'm actually, I'm not doing much. When I see slugs, I take them away. Uh, Leia's great at it. Leia's not, she'll just take you with her hands. She doesn't even use gloves. I want to use gloves. I don't love slugs. And she'll, she'll just take them and she'll put them, she'll throw them out in the field. <laughs> you know, like kind of far away. She has a little, I don't know. I don't know where they go. They probably crawl right back. But that's what we do. It is a beautiful thing having a garden. It's a beautiful thing growing our foods. And it really is a constant lesson in letting go. And this season, actually, because I've been so relaxed about the garden, because I've had no choice, because I was, first I was so pregnant, I couldn't even squat to the floor. I couldn't get to the ground. And then I've had a newborn and I just, it's so hard for me to get out there. It's been a really, uh, it's been a beautiful season in the garden, to be honest. I think because I've been so relaxed. So I'm going to try to bring that vibe into next season too. Hey, yoga girl. First of all, I just want to say how much I love you and everything you do. I love herbs. Um, my question is, what happened to your mom? She was around for a while, and I haven't heard anything about her in some years now. And I'm just wondering because I have my own problems with my mom, and I, I loved just hearing you talk about y'all's relationship. So I'm just wondering what happened. That's it. Thanks. Bye. Oh, hello, hello. Yeah, I mean, I get this I get this question from time to time. So everything is fine. My mom is doing really well. Um, I actually think she's doing great uh, at this this stage of her life. 
she started her own modeling agency. So my mom models a lot. She's in her 50s. Um, wait, how how deep in her 50s is she? Is she 57? Shit, I should, I should definitely know. She's born 67. Can someone help me with math? I have nursing brain, okay? It's not just like pregnancy brain becomes breastfeeding brain. We all know that, right? I think my mom's 56. Yeah, let's, let's go for that. So she's modeled for a long time. And of course, as she's in her 50s and she has gray hair, like she's really embracing embracing her, her age. She started a modeling agency called Golden Age Models, where she only hires and brings on models that are 50 plus. So really focusing on the uh, on that part of the population. And it's going so well. I think she's doing amazing. I think she's really, really busy. And I think she's really happy in her life right now. So anyone wondering just how my mom's doing, she's doing really well. Our our relationship is is really uh it's a roller coaster. And I've just had to sort of accept that it's going to be a roller coaster. I don't think we're ever gonna arrive at a place where suddenly it's just completely peaceful and where we have healed everything that needs healing. And um, I just, I don't think that's in the cards for us. I thought that for a while, I thought that we are going to reach some sort of catharsis together. So for anyone who's just kind of new to listening or following along, so I've been very close to my mom my whole entire life, too close, to be honest. I was sort of enmeshed uh, with her for a really long time. And when Leia was little, she was very, very present in her. I mean, she's always very present, but she, you know, was so present in our family in, in so many ways. And you saw her a lot on social media and she was always with us and helping with Leia. And yeah, just, and she worked for the company for Yoga Girl for, for a while, which wasn't great. I think working with your family overall just creates a different, a difficult dynamic, can create a difficult dynamic. And it definitely was with us. And that lasted for a while and was a struggle for a while. And I think the main issue that we had back then was that I had never set any boundaries ever, ever in my life with her. And I used to blame her for that. Like she should have just known or she should have respected me differently or she should have treated me differently. And now I can really see, you know, I had never in my life said no to anything <laughs> really when it came to her ever. And we had a lot of just very complicated dynamics in our relationship and me not being able to set boundaries was a huge one. So I just constantly felt um, stepped on or stepped over or disrespected. And she didn't know that she was disrespecting me because she was so used to us, yeah, having a having the same dynamic we'd had our whole lives. So we had a lot of just dramatic things happen and things that didn't work for me and had kind of a big breakup. Um, this was right as the pandemic came, where I just had to take a break and had to put our relationship on pause and couldn't, yeah, couldn't have her in my life. And then we had that sort of two-year break, I think, two and a half years, maybe two. I don't know. It was a long one, really long one, where we had no communication. We didn't talk. And that was easy, living in Aruba, of course. It's really easy to set boundaries with someone if they live, you know, a thousand miles away. And then when we moved back to Sweden, it became sort of increasingly difficult to hold that big boundary that I'd set of not wanting her in my life. And I also started feeling this longing for some normalcy, for family again. Of course, us having this big split in our relationship, it affected not just me, but Leia, of course, didn't have a grandma for all that time. And my siblings, and every time we had a family gathering or a birthday or something, you know, Christmas, it was it, it was complicated, right? I mean, you, everybody, you know, family is is complicated. So I started sort of inviting her back into our lives. And that has been a roller coaster, truly. It's been really, really hard uh, for me to have to reassert certain boundaries again and again. And we've had that sort of, yeah, we oscillate back and forth between um, a closeness and then distance and then a closeness and then distance. And yeah, easy times and hard times. <laughs> and I guess because 
our relationship doesn't feel steady. I don't think it's ever going to be. I'm just really, uh, yeah, I'm not sharing a lot of it on social media because I don't, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't want to. And right now, I guess, so we've had, we had a pretty solid thing going throughout a lot of my pregnancy where she was spending a lot of time with Leia and coming here to visit and things felt pretty okay. And then right before the baby was born or a couple weeks before we had just a major, yeah, something happened that didn't work for me. And I had to reassert a boundary that I've set, I don't know, a million times maybe. And it meant that I had sort of that last month of pregnancy just without her present. And I think it was important. I think it really, um, we, we have such a complicated relationship that when we when things are not good with us and we are close, it takes up a lot of my energy and a lot of my mental space. And having that happen before the baby came meant I could just completely 1000% uh, be with myself and be with the baby and not have any of my presence, you know, over there with her, which is always like, is she okay? And is she healthy? Is she well? It, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to break those old patterns there. And then what happened when the, so we actually weren't talking and we weren't in relationship when the baby was born and it's getting harder now having a relationship that's this unsteady because when Leia was little, when she was one and two and three, having someone be in her life and then not be in her life wasn't that big of a deal because she wasn't that present about it. But now, you know, Leia's six, she's very, very aware of who is there and who isn't. And are things good? Are they not? You know, she listens and hears everything. So this time when we took a break, I was really concerned and it felt awful. And I'm, I'm not willing to have someone so important in Leia's life just, you know, come and go. It doesn't, it's not okay with me. But it's also not okay with me to have someone cross my boundaries all the time. You know, so it's, it's, it's been super challenging. Like, it's almost like, do I choose, do I choose my daughter having that important relationship or do I choose myself? And I know at the end of the day, I have to choose myself or my life doesn't work. But this time it just was a challenge. And then Dennis asked, he says, I completely agree with this decision. And then this, yeah, it doesn't, it's not going to work this way. We have to do what we have to do. But what are we going to do about Leia? Like when Leia asks, and then I just said, we'll deal with that when she asks. And strangely, that whole month, she didn't ask. She, it was like, like my mom wasn't in her, in her sphere or something. And they normally talk on the phone and spend time. And, and just for a whole month, she didn't ask a single time, like, can I go spend time with her or call her? Or she wasn't questioning why she wasn't there. It was like, we were all just very focused on the baby. And I didn't actually have to make a hard decision at all of, 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 of figuring out what to tell her. And then the baby was born, we're in the bathroom, like literally the day, the moment the baby was born, I think the placenta came, like everything was really done. Like, you know, the birthing moment was done and I was just about to transition into the bedroom. We hadn't called anyone, only my brother. <laughs> my brother lives five minutes away. He was, he was on his way, but we hadn't invited anyone from the outside into the birth bubble. And all of a sudden Leah goes, mom, we have to call grandma we have to call grandma, we have to call grandma and tell her the baby's here. And that was the first mention of her that she had said in, in a whole month. And I looked at Dennis and then I started crying. I was like, yes, of course. Like, of course we have to call grandma. And then she took my phone and she went outside and she FaceTimed my mom. And for Leah, it was like, it was like we hadn't had any fight or break or anything. I mean, for her, it's just everything's been super normal. And now the baby's here. And the first person she wants to tell is my mom. And she calls and she's like, guess what? And my mom answers, she's like, what, what, what? And then she turned the phone toward, toward me and the baby. And then of course, in a moment like that, like nothing else exists, right? Everything else feels stupid and silly and not important. And yeah, and then everything sort of, you know, melts away. And from then we've, again, rebuilt that, that relationship a bit. But the hard thing is that we can't really have a full reparation of the things that don't work because it's just not how she works it's just not possible with her so I don't know if this answers any of, of yeah or is helpful at all when it comes to your relationship with your mom but for me I've had to just accept that this is not a stable relationship in my life 
and we are not going to arrive at some great catharsis where we have healed all of our stuff and now we're closer than ever and everything feels safe. No, it's not probably not going to be a safe place for me all the time. But really, the only thing I can do is be very aware of what I am okay with. And the moment we arrive in an area or in a place where all of a sudden I don't feel okay, things don't work for me, it's up to me to communicate that. It's never going to come from her side. It has to be me. And every time I communicate that, it's going to be met with drama. And if I'm expecting that, it's okay, actually. It is okay. And um, it's okay that we have an up and down and it's okay that it's different all the time as long as my expectation is what it is, that I don't expect to all of a sudden have some great, steady, super easy, healed relationship there. Like it's not, it's not going to be that. And, and I have to be okay with that. But again, the struggle I have is, is Leia as she gets older, um, because it's never going to be okay with me to have someone treat me poorly and then you know, bypass me to have a relationship with my kids. Like that doesn't work. And I know everything I allow in my life, I model for Leia. She sees how I navigate relationships. She sees how I let people speak to me and how I let people act in my house and toward me. And she's going to grow up thinking that this is what it's like to be a woman. This is what it's like to be a mother and a daughter. And, you know, here is what I, that how I allow people to treat me is going to in different ways be how she will allow people to treat her. So it's crucial for me that I take really good care of myself and that I'm really mindful of, of who I invite into my space. And I try to come back to that when I have to make difficult decisions. But, um, but yeah, but right now things are, things are good. She was here last week. She's seen the baby. She loves Finn. Finn feels really safe with her. Like he really like melts into her chest. Leia loves her. Leia had a 24 hour fun day with her last week where they went and saw the Barbie movie and just had a whole day in Stockholm and had so much fun. And, you know, so right now, right now things are really good. And I'm really grateful for the right now. Um, so yeah, that's that update. Let's take one more question. Hi, Rachel. Oh my goodness. I have been a fan for years. Um, my name is Morgan and I am just curious what your recommendations would be for somebody who is wanting to explore herbalism for the first time, like books, courses, anything beginner-friendly. Um, I am recovering from a C-section and suffering from some other women's health issues, and I am just feeling really drawn to this practice. So thank you. Oh, hi. I'm so glad we get to talk a little bit of herbalism today as well. Yeah, there is so many places to go in terms of herbalism. I mean, if you Google it, you'll find tons of courses. You'll find so many books. The number one thing that I would really recommend, and this is really, uh, I think, how we, we start. I think it's the most organic way to begin, is to not look at herbalism as okay, I'm stepping into a course now where I'm stepping into this new field and I'm going to learn everything about, about all the herbs, <laughs> right? Which is like, I think how we approach a lot of learning. Like, let me get this overarching view of the whole thing I want to learn. With herbalism, it is much better and much more natural to begin one herb at a time. And this is something I've learned from one of my teachers, Rosemary Gladstar. If you want a good herbal book, like any of her overarching big books on herbalism are great. And you'll notice in her books also, she doesn't cover, especially in the, the more foundational ones, she doesn't cover 200 herbs. Like here's what you do for these, all of these things. But she might cover 15 in a book, right? And then go more into depth of each one. But that it's better, yeah, something I learned from her is that it's better to know one herb really, 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 really well. To have one herb where you feel like, you know this herb. This is a plant ally. This is plant kin. This is plant medicine that I understand. Where you can easily recognize them by taste, by flavor, by how they grow, where they grow. When you see them in seed form or when you see them harvested and used somewhere that you know this herb from that place and that you intuitively feel inside when they are applicable or not. 
So you get to know their properties, their qualities. Are they warming? Are they cooling? You know, are they moistening? Are they drying? What in which ways can they be helpful for different conditions and for different people in different stages of their life? Knowing one herb really intimately is going to serve you so much better than knowing 30 herbs surfacely. Is surfacely a word? I don't think so. <laughs> but knowing, knowing 30 herbs just, just on the surface, right? So starting there in that sense, there's probably an herb present in your life right now that you are intuitively drawn to. There's probably an herb that you're working with right now. If you have health issues, there might be an herb that you, yeah, keep being, keep gravitating toward or one that pops up again and again. Maybe you see it on Instagram or social media, or it comes up in a podcast or a book, or you hear me talking about something on stories, an herb that feels present. Maybe someone recommended something to you. Um, if you were to take a moment right now, just to tune into what is an herb that I feel is present for me right now? and you start doing research into that herb, it's going to shock you, probably. You probably are going to find that there's properties and medicinal qualities of this herb that you can use for exactly the thing that you're dealing with in this moment. I promise. And it's kind of weird that I can say I promise, but I really do promise. Because I think plant spirit and, and mother nature shows up for us in that way. You know, our plant friends, they want to heal us. They want to be present for us to help enrich our lives. Like it's their part of the ecosystem. They're really here as, as allies. There's a kinship there. And when we are going through something and we want to heal and we've been asking questions and looking outside and trying to figure it out, that subtle messaging from plant life is there. And there's something really sacred about that, about listening to that and following our intuition versus going to Google like herbs to help heal C-section scar, for example. Look at how herbs are showing up in your life already. So beginning there, beginning with one herb or maybe beginning with three and then going really into depth with them. And that means, you know, finding out the different ways that they are applicable for you, finding different ways to use them. Um, I can give an example. I am super in relationship with calendula right now. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have calendula coming out of my ears. Like I have, I grew so much calendula and calendula because I keep harvesting it. It keeps coming. Like calendula really is the, the gift that keeps on giving. The more you harvest, the more you get. And I'm kind of overwhelmed with the amount of calendula that I have right now. So I'm using her in so many different ways and kind of getting to know her in different ways because I know calendula as in salves, in oils, and creams. We know calendula is great for healing wounds. It's also really great for the skin. It really, can be really moisturizing, anti-inflammatory. Like it's, you find calendula in a lot of like diaper rash creams and, you know, things like that. So that's like a relationship I already have with her. But what does calendula taste like when you just eat a raw flower? What do they smell like? Like, what does calendula look like when she's growing, but she hasn't flowered yet? How does calendula taste freshly steeped in hot water? How does calendula taste dried in, as infused as tea? How does calendula feel when I use calendula for yoni steaming, for example, or in a bath with me, or when I infuse her in oil? Like, I'm really there right, with calendula in so many different ways. And what are the mythical stories about calendula? Like from, th that, that to me is so, like the lore, what's the folkloric stories about these herbs? Like where did they come about? How were they used in the past for healing? What's the relationship, you know, with calendula in Sweden? How, how have people here where I'm from been using calendula throughout time? Is it a native herb? Does she grow here naturally? You know, you can go so deep. And this is not even counting the spiritual feeling of when I sit with this herb, what comes my way? What visions do I see? What feelings does it evoke? Can I meditate with this plant and really feel their spirit? And look at this plant, not just as something I can use for my own gain, but as a spirit, as a spiritual companion that can be there in relationship with me, where there's a give and a take. What does Calendula want? What does she need to grow, to thrive? What is she asking? What is she saying? 
There is a beauty to creating relationships like that. And I can tell you, I don't have that many herbs that where I have a relationship that deep. And it's really always been, for me last year, the I, the herb of last year for me was yarrow. I mean, I had, I had yarrow in my dreams. <laughs> I, had, I really, really, like it, it was the single one herb where I, I learned the most about, that I worked with the most in so many ways. And now I'm kind of out of that phase. I'm not using yarrow as much at this season of my life, but I know her, like I know her. And when someone tells me they have an ailment or they have something going on and yarrow is applicable, I can speak from that place with assertiveness because I know. But there's a lot of herbs. I don't know most herbs. I don't know. There's very few of them where I have that deep of a relationship. So if you ask for that and you start looking, you're going to find. And I would start there. And that might lead you to an amazing course or, you know, something that takes you deeper into the overall overarching world of herbalism. But let your doorway be one plant friend and start there. And you're going to find something so healing. Like I, I promise you, I really promise you. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I loved answering these questions. I love how kind of all over the place they were <laughs> in a really coherent way. I can feel my boobs kind of telling me it's time for me to go feed the baby. So I'm going to go do that. Have a really beautiful weekend and um, I'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.